Bear Down Bears fan, Chicago Bears podcast, back at it again. Pat the designer, Courtney Cronin in the building. We still got so much to talk about. I wish you guys, we probably should just record like the pre-show preparations just to put out there as well. Because those are always good. Like, we're still confused by what the heck we saw on Sunday. Gotta talk about fields. Gotta talk about the coaching staff as a whole. Gotta talk about Edmonds and Sweat really not being in there on that final drive. A lot of inconsistencies here from this team and uh, some positives as well. And we'll get into a little bit more around the league. All that and more in today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. Leave that five-star review. Y'all know what to do. Courtney, what's good? How you feeling? I feel like you're right. We should have recorded all of that because the diatribe I just went on in like when the light bulb, I was watching the game back last night um, in between like halftime and watching, you know, another Bulls loss. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like I, I was like, I'm going to be productive. I'm going to use my time. And then like I thought about it this morning, like there's something that's missing from that final drive. So I went back and watched and I'm just as confused now as I was like in the moment yesterday and there's a lot of questions still i mean for all of the losses that we've covered this season and of course as losses mount and you know the excuses kind of run thin i don't know if we've had as many questions about certain situations and like the you know personnel decisions play calling all of that as much as we have with this detroit game and it's gonna take i mean it's, it's taking days to sort out and i just there's still so much that this staff and the, and these players are going to be asked and have to answer about it because, you know, this game, we've talked about this, like what, what a win for the lions. I mean, when you see what the Eagles did last night, yeah. it's not their best game, an ugly game. Jalen hurts was on his back a lot because that pass rush from the chiefs got after him. They found a way to win. The lions did the same thing in not their best game of the season against the Chicago bears. And that's what separates the teams that are going to contend the teams that, you know, you're going to be seeing playing in January versus the ones that like the bears have a long way to go. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think a great place to start here is just, we could start off with kind of the inconsistencies that we saw in Sunday's game, because to me, it's very hard for me to sit here with a straight face and tell you that if over the next six or seven games, uh, we, we Justin Fields doesn't have a job because he's inconsistent but the coaching staff is okay with some of the inconsistencies that we saw there. So I want to get into all of that. Number one thing for me, right? When you see the game plan that was in there, when you saw how Justin Fields played, it felt like three quarters of the game. I, I got to be honest, Luke Getze called a heck of a plan. I was sitting here rewatching the yeah. tape this morning and I was like, there were things that he did that like, the, the the run to the left where he has Justin, the blocking scheme's in there perfectly. Justin runs it. Two plays later, he sets up that exact same blocking scheme to set up Justin rolling out right mm-hmm. for EQ, St. Brown, to catch a nice deep pass over the middle, right? Like, I thought that Luke Getze did a lot of good things. But on the offensive end, what did you see in the fourth quarter? How did you feel about going conservative there? Where were your thoughts on that? I know that, you know, we're all thinking about the field goals when you play for field goals to go up 26-14. And there were two separate instances of that. I was just pulling it up. Like, so there was the fourth and one from Detroit, just outside of like the the red zone. So the 23, Cairo Santos kicks the 40-yarder. That's 23-14. So that's to go up nine. And then to go up 12, they are at, again, inside Detroit's, just outside Detroit's red zone at the 21. It's fourth and five. 
they opt to take the points. I, I, I will never fault teams for, especially a situation where it's like, all right, this would be monumental if we walk out of here with a win, um, you know, take the points in the situation. You can second guess everything all you want, but yeah. to not have any sort of consistency, that seems to be the, the word that we're using here. Like they, they went forward on fourth down twice earlier in the game and they were okay with that. And then I asked Matt Eberflus on that first fourth down um, of the fourth quarter, or at least the one that they went, you know, fourth and one from the 23, the one to go up nine, right. like, he didn't really seem to have a clear answer there. Like, oh, okay, like, you know, it, it, it'll still take you two touchdowns. It's a two-score game. It'll still take the other team two touchdowns to beat you um, if you do this versus the touchdown itself. Well, you know, we can all look back in, in retrospect and say, well, yeah, like, that's why you should have gone for it there. I just don't – like, what, what's not sitting well with me is the – is the inconsistency for Chicago in deciding, all right, when are we going to go for it on fourth down and what, which situation makes the most sense. It in, feels in like coaches suggesting on Madden right now. It really does. Like they went for, like, as I went, I looked back at like the, the, the playlist, like on in the first quarter with two forty eight, Justin had that short pass, that really good pass to yeah. DJ towards the Bears sideline. And that was fourth and two from Detroit's 43. So you're basically at midfield. Um, I get it with the punting situation. If, if you have the, if you don't get it there, you have them take over. They're basically at midfield. And then the other fourth down that the bears ended up going for um, was, you know, later I'm trying to find it here, the Roshan Johnson at the fourth and one, you know, he gets it up the, up the gut, like, okay. And that's from Detroit's 32. Like, it just felt like as the game was going on, they got more and more tepid in their decisions when it made more sense for them to get more aggressive. And that's yeah. what it boils down to here with the play calling on those two. And then you think about the momentum that they stunted themselves. Justin gets that 29. He's scanning down the field. He doesn't see anything. He takes off. And that's one thing that Eberflus was really you know, really um, complimentary of was Fields on Sunday that before he got to, you know, before he left the line of scrimmage, like actually scanning, going through the reads, taking time to do that, and then bolting. And that 29-yard run where, you know, it was just perfect. The execution, the slide at the end to protect himself, all of that, you stunt momentum with those run plays after, which sets up the field goal. Um, And Eberflus, you know, what he he said after uh, Monday was that, they like those plays. Actually, they love those plays that they had yeah, down there, them. even the one that they had on third down. And that doesn't make any sense to me. It's the one on third and down is a Roshan Johnson run on third and seven that gained two yards, I want to say. like it's not. None of this is aligning. None of this yeah. is aligning, and it calls into question, why in those moments does it seem like they caved to the pressure of, God, we just got to get out of here with a win, when they were so methodical and so aggressive in trying to establish an identity as a multiple offense where you have a quarterback on all these designed runs and and the read read option stuff, the the disconnect plays that um, Eberflew said where Fields had a a choice to throw it or pass it, or, you know, to to throw it or to keep it. Like, why all of a sudden did that – Felt like that part went away at the end of yeah. the game, and that's what's got me confused today. Because I don't, I don't know. You cannot win games like that because you tried to establish an identity early on, it worked, and then all of a sudden, either 
you felt like it wasn't your identity anymore or you got scared to commit to it and double down when you were in a game on the line situation? Yeah, I, I, I said very, basically very similar things yesterday about it feels like they're just okay with just doing enough, right? Like you mentioned the Roshan Johnson third and seven play. That's a hope play. That's a, hey, maybe this guy breaks it for eight and we get a first down and we keep this thing going. But worst case scenario, we kick a field goal, right? There's no risk there. And I, I just, I feel like when we talk about the, the teams that win, more often when you coach a team to lose, we talk about you losing that game. Like, or when you coach a team not to lose, we talk about you losing that game. Very rarely is it like, yeah, they coached not to lose and they got the job done. Like, mm -hmm. we almost never hear that. So when I looked at the coaching staff, especially offensively, it felt like, and, and I think it, it applies to Flues too, when you look at the last four minutes on defense, it feels like the team's mindset as a whole is, we've done enough on this drive. Let's just get something. We don't need seven. We just need to get something. It's coming away with points. It's playing yeah. for points versus, you know, if you, I, like I, I, they're a three win team. Like that's what it boils down to for me that you are a three and seven team coming into this game and you're playing not to lose. You're playing to be, to be able just to like get out of there with a win. Yeah. In certain respects, like if the shoe was on the other foot and Detroit was doing that, like, man, like we played like crap today. Um, we, you know, came in with seven wins. Like we really don't want to lose our position in like where we are in the NFC right now. Like, let's just get out of here with a win. Let's just, let's yeah. just get, you know, I think there would be, certainly that would not be their identity because of how aggressive they've been all season, especially on those fourth downs. But I, I think you can give more credence to a team like that who has actually something to lose versus the bears who really don't have anything to lose at this point. Like you have three wins. It's not going to get you anywhere this season, but those sorts of calls could save jobs. They could save, you know, person. They could influence personnel decisions. They look, never look gave Justin Fields. They right? down the stretch of the season to go from like one and six to a team that was like just on the cusp of yeah. you know, making making a getting a, a wild card berth. They like that was a perfect opportunity for them to evaluate Justin Fields. He picks up twenty nine yards with his legs, one of his best assets that you just started to utilize like the way that we had seen last year coming out of that um, Washington game going into New England. Like they yeah. just, they finally figured it out again. Okay, if you're going to be the guy that we have here in 2024, and we're going to give you a fair evaluation is what they say. We want to see consistency, all these things. We're going to make you the quarterback that we think you need to be, which is not just the guy that's going to win from the pocket or like, you know, force yourself to stay in there, whether you, whether it's that's on him, whether that's on the staff, we're going to, we're going to get the most out of you. And doing that means we're going to get the most out of your legs. They did that, and then all of a sudden they're like, we're going to take the ball out of your hands. And I know yeah. some of those are read option plays there at the end of the game, and it was it was Fields' choice, according to Matt Eberflus, what he said on that third and seven. To Roshan, he said he could have had a disconnect on that one. He decided to hand it off. So, again, that's taking responsibility out of play calling and saying, well, that's the quarterback's decision. Yeah, we saw 34 there. Um, but they didn't – my biggest issue is that they didn't give Fields a chance in a got-to-have-it situation – to prove, okay, I can come through in that situation. He didn't. He didn't have yeah. a chance. He didn't really have a chance to do it based on all of these like layers within the play calling of like, well, if you see this, then go with that. Like, not just like, all right, go be a winner. Go do what you need to do to win this game. They 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 stripped him of that opportunity in a moment that ended up yielding their final points of the game when they went up 26-14. Yeah. I mean, and and 
I think the interesting thing in, is that when you finally go to his arm, he throws a really good pass, and it's to Tyler though. What's going on with Darnell Mooney here? Seems so, like they have really fallen out of a uh, little bit of favor with Moon Man uh, on a season where he's got to get paid. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it's a great question. And like people are like, well, what about DJ? Well, if you if DJ would have been covered differently, he was he was the crossing route over the middle of the field. I'm pulling it up right now. Um, he so this is like this is the third and 10 play. And this just, you know. I, I went through and I talked with somebody yesterday about like I wasn't trying to give Tyler Scott a pass on any of this, but first yeah, off, yeah. he's a rookie. I understand he he owned it. You know what I really appreciate about this? I know I'm like all over the place on this, but it made me think. Going back to that wide open pass that Velas Jones dropped in the end zone, yeah. uh, Ty- Tyson Bajant threw that ball to him. That would have been a touchdown. He slipped. He couldn't grab it um, and haul in the catch. And he said, you know, it's a little bit underthrown, but blah blah blah. You didn't hear shit from Tyler Scott about that. He didn't say anything about the pass because he couldn't first off. And he knows that he's a pro as a rookie. He is one of the most mature rookies I've ever covered. The way that he handled that was such a stark difference to what you heard from, from the player who it's just mind blowing that he's still on the team at this point. Like that to me is somebody who's going to learn from what happened in that moment. You'll probably never see a moment like that again from Tyler Scott, honestly. And I, and I know that people say, Oh, well, you know, what about some of the drops that he's had at other points this season? He's a fourth-round rookie who's working his way into more playing time, probably more than he expected to play yeah. at, at this point in his rookie season. But the way that he handled that, I thought, was he didn't shy away from any of it after the game. He, he said it, it, um, he took the blame on it. Yeah. He did. And so the issue then that I have, like, you know, I was wondering, all right, like, is it hard to track the ball? Because the, the ceiling or, you know, the roof in, in Detroit, like, there's these, like, gray. It's hard to track the ball there because you it's unlike Minnesota. It's not a glass ceiling. It's hard because it's it's dark up there. Right. But, like, that's not an excuse in that moment when you are putting the trust in the in a rookie receiver right there. Like, like to your point, where is Darnell Mooney? Where is Everett? Where is any other option there than you've said to Justin Fields after the two failed run plays um, on first and second down? Shoot, get us out of a bind, guy. Like, just yeah. figure it out. And that's felt like, okay, like, we don't trust you. We don't trust you. We don't trust you. Okay, no, 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 go, go, go. Like, seriously, like, figure it out. Help us. Like, that's that's frenetic play calling in the, I I think like, I just, I don't look at that situation and feel comfortable knowing, okay, like, you know, it wasn't, you know, people can say, Oh, that's on Justin Fields. That was on Tyler Scott, whatever the play call itself, the deep shot on that after what you did on first and second down, that's concerning. And I just, I don't understand like the rationale behind that. I think I can deal with the play call because I think right. Like the play call worked. And I do think you can't put DJ more in that position because there'll be, a safety over the top because he's DJ Moore. You already know how they're going to cover that completely differently. I, I just think that that could have been a Darnell Mooney. That could have been an Equinamia St. Brown in that situation. If you want to go with somebody who's maybe a little less notable, right? Going to the rookie and, and right building. And Mooney was open. Rook- Mooney was get- open, and and Komet yeah. had coverage probably about like playing five yards off, like. Either of those could have been an option that would have been fine because yeah. it's a pass that would have gone beyond the sticks on third yeah. and ten. Yeah. So I just I don't know. It was it was. I feel like we continue to have the same conversations about these guys every single week, where we get to these second halves, we get to the fourth quarter, and it's just we've done enough. We're okay. 
Justin, just get out of this game. It's like they're trying to save a PR storm after the game. Like that's what it feels like every single week. Like, oh, Justin's played pretty well to this point. We're gonna they're gonna talk nicely about him after the game if it's all he's the he's the quarterback of an NFL team. This is not flag football. Like, let the guy go out there and play. Let the guy go out there and play who has played elite the entire game. He was efficient throwing the ball. And I and I don't even know if this is the game plan that they're gonna stick with for him, but it was the game plan you needed to run. For the Detroit Lions, it's the one game plan that we've seen beat them. And I, I literally, I watched, I've re- been rewatching the tape, and I swear, you sit there and you look at Getzy, and you're like, for 56 minutes, I could have, I, I thought you were an elite play call. And he the last really four minutes things. of the game, like, it gets yeah. bad. He did some really good things in yeah. those first 56 minutes. Matt Eberflus did too. His defense had came away with four takeaways in this game. Yeah. Like that hadn't, and that's. Not against a bad offense like the nope. Carolina Panthers or the Washington Commanders, who all they did was drop back and pass. So of course you can get after and get five sacks that game. This was this is one of the best offenses in the NFL. Period. To come away with four takeaways, you got to be feeling great about yourself as a as a defensive play caller for the Bears to have a lead in the final going into the final four minutes and fifteen seconds, a ninety-eight point two percent chance in that moment to win the game. You gotta be feeling pretty good about yourself as an offensive play caller, in spite of maybe he gets overruled in those moments. Remember, like that goes on analytics and that goes on yeah. Matt Eberflu. It's like are we kicking it? Or are we going for it? So Either he wasn't comfortable with what Luke Getze had drawn up there beyond the third down, uh, the failed, you know, the two-yard run by Roshan Johnson, or that's Flus getting tight in that moment and saying, I'm just not comfortable. I've seen what I've seen here. And maybe that's an indictment more on how he feels about his players being able to come through in that gotta-have-it situation. What we heard post-game and what we heard yesterday, too, like, it came down to execution. That's the word. You never yeah. once heard, no, 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 that's on us as coaches. I mean, they were, there was definitely a moderate course correct on Monday where it felt like it was, okay, no, in those situations, players got to execute, coaches got to execute, whatever. Yeah. I On Sunday, it was a different tone where it was like players got to execute in those situations where the scapegoat, like all the, the blame, any sort of questioning was taken off by the head coach in that moment of – people who were calling in the plays defense. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was going to ask, did he just have his naggy moment of uh remember Matt Nagy? I'm the head coach. That's real. And uh, I call the plays. That's real as well. Like Flus, Flus had like a moment. Uh, what was it yesterday, yesterday. where he's like, mm-hmm. listen, like, you know, the, whoever's calling plays, I mean, it's me, but like whoever's calling plays out there, I just feel like he's called some really good stuff. Like what the heck was that? It was so he was asked about like, what is when you talk about like, you know, things that should have been handled differently. Like, they're, yeah. you know, they go through on Sunday, Monday when they get back and he pointed to certain things like, you know, stuff that could have been done differently from a coaching perspective. Right. Okay. Well, what is your responsibility as the head coach? Who's also calling defensive plays to, to make those adjustments. And his answer you know, was a word salad again, you know, because he talked about, can we have been, should we have been more aggressive here, less aggressive here? Yeah. Um, and he brings up the New Orleans game and the way that that, you know, the end of half in New Orleans. And he says, quote, I think it was three and out, maybe four and out. That was execution by the players. And it was good calling 
good calling by whoever the defensive coordinator was. That would be me. And then at the end of the Carolina game, the seal game, there's some good calls, good execution. Obviously, he's referring to Luke Getzey in that moment yeah. and the in the the what he drew up for Mooney on that third down. But like, what a weird flex. What a very weird flex from Matt Eberflus in that moment when last I checked, you lost the, 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 lost the game in the New Orleans game. You lost that game. And that was a one possession game. Yeah. I don't I don't understand some of the rationale here, like to in that moment when you guys just went up on the road, were up 12 points, blew another dip, double digit lead in the fourth quarter. Same thing that happened against the uh, Denver Broncos. And yes, I know Justin Fields had, you know, the strip sack fumble return for a touchdown and then yeah. threw an interception on uh, his last chance to, to lead the team down the field. And then the Broncos were able to seal it. Like that's still, you know, those are still losses that fell under the head coach. So for the culpability to kind of squeak away in that moment and for him to go back to like two other games, one of which was a loss, well, and, lost. and then be like, oh, no, no, like, well, you know, that was pretty good. Like I called that play. I had to call those plays. Like I deserve some credit for that. That did not make a single ounce of sense, Pat. I don't understand what he was trying to convey in that moment, yeah. but when you say things like that, that's where you're alienating yourself, I think, from decision makers inside Hallis Hall, certainly the fan base, and who knows, maybe he doesn't care about what the fans think. I mean, he's been getting crushed out here week after week, and that's fine. Yeah. Like, you got to insulate yourself from all of that because fans aren't the ones with a headset on calling plays in critical situations. But that to me was a very strange, in your, like a passive aggressive, in your face sort of comment that will not hold up to the eye test and for like the test of time, considering this team has three wins and eight losses and the defensive play calling in some of these games have been the reason more than the reason that they've lost more than the reason yeah. that they've won. Yeah. It, it's he, he's, he's an intro that felt like it, there was a skit on YouTube and it was like, if coaches could say what they really meant, it was just <laughs> like, I'm a good head coach. I swear. I know what I'm doing. I call the right plays you know what I mean? Like, let's, like that felt like I'm letting whoever is going to be the next team that hires me know that I know what I'm doing on the defensive end and my players okay. have let me down in this situation. Now, to some of that, right, Lance did say yesterday, talking about the defense in those last four minutes, defense just got to go out there and execute. There was right play calls that were made and the defense doesn't end up getting the stop. To me, my issue is the mentality in those last four minutes. My issue is the fact that you think that you've done enough. And it, it's a it's a lack of self-awareness, in my opinion, that you think that no, any lead that you get is safe. You yeah. think that any lead that you've acquired, because that's been the case all season, right? No, actually, it's been the opposite. It's been you have blown pretty much every big lead that Justin Fields has given you in three of the last four games that he's played in that he's pretty much put on single-handedly, him and DJ Moore, that he's put you on a pedestal and going into the second half, every single game, you go, that's enough now. All right, you guys calm down. You rest, you chill, and we're going to close this game out by running the football and defense. And I get that, like, that's what you want to do at a certain point. That's what you want your team to be. But you do that when that's your team. That's not this team. And they don't coach like that's this team. And that, to me, is is the biggest issue. And a two-score lead's not safe. They've shown us this several times this season where they've blown double-digit leads. I mean, yeah. again, you go to the Denver game. That's the prime example of it. I mean, it's the biggest collapse at Soldier Field, I think, in history by the yeah. home team. Um, 
And then for for it to happen again, to think, okay, like we need to go up by, we need to have it be a two possession game because they'll take them two touchdowns. They did not have any issue and a two point conversion getting past you there. Like you, you got to think to yourself, if you're the Bears, man, we're playing a terrific team right now, a team that may end up contending for a Super Bowl. It has to be a minimum of like going up by three scores before you yeah. would even consider any of like the like, let's reel it in here. Let's just get out of here with the win and celebrate. No, 100 uh, percent. Let's let's finish it off on the offense here. And then I do want to talk about uh, one of the interesting things that you saw on the defensive end. Uh, the mullet came in and I'm not going to lie, Courtney. I was impressed. Uh, Dan Feeney got into the game at center after Lucas Patrick gets hit on one of the craziest blindside blocks. I mean, like, my God, like, hear the whistle a little bit, but also play through the whistle. Can we get a flag on that? That was insane to me. Um, but could the Bears be looking to keep Dan Feeney in at that center position? I mean, he came in versus a defensive line who the interior part of that line has been serious. Mm-hmm. Struggled a little bit early on to get on the same page as Justin. But when he got on the same page, he looked pretty good out there. Yeah, so Feeney, before to before Sunday in that game, um, like I, they brought him in. I want to say it was the Tampa Bay game when Lucas Patrick – remember they had um, – Nate Davis was not playing that game at right guard. Yep. I believe it was Jatari Carter um, at right guard. And then there was an injury late in the game. I think he played like one or two snaps. Yeah, he only had like two Tampa snaps prior to that, yeah. To play playing center. And then he played one set snap at center in week eight. Um, like this was okay, throwing the guy to the fire, but like you traded a six-round pick. Like, I'm not even I'm not complaining about the pick. I'm just saying, like, you traded to bring this guy in here because you thought, okay, look, quality depth that we can get um, you know, right before roster cut down day. That moment where he played 40 snaps against the Detroit Lions because Lucas Patrick got a back injury and couldn't come back, I thought he did really well. There weren't yeah. snaps that were like like so egregious where you're like, oh man, like that one's about to go over Justin Fields' head. That was a yeah. bad ball. Like he he came in and like, to I would think, and maybe I'm wrong on this. I would think that be, of any offensive lineman that has to come in and perform in the middle of a game being the center because of the quarterback center exchange on the fly is probably really freaking hard. Yeah. So for Feeney to come in and not be any of the issue um, with the offensive execution, the way that we you know, have seen some center benchings happen before speaks, I think volumes to their evaluation on him. And it was a smart move to go get him. I know that it's taken a while for him to work his way in, but for them to a not go back to Cody Whitehair as like the default, he didn't play any snaps on the offensive line. Only played six snaps um, on field goal and extra point. Like I thought that was a really smart call. And yeah. if Lucas Patrick can't continue to, if if he can't play, uh, I mean he'll have the extra day because of the Monday night game. If he can't play, I think this is a no brainer that you keep Dan Feeney at center. He's he he really impressed me. I think that you know early on he I think him and Justin were just off on the, the snap count a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it yeah, and then of course him. a delay of game. Like yeah, I'm not yeah, trying yeah. to like say like it was perfect by any stretch. First off, it was loud as hell in there. Second, this is not the person who's snapping the ball to Justin Fields. I know that they have been rotating more in yeah. practice from what like Tyson Bajan has said, um, and some of the quarterbacks, like just to make sure and you don't want a situation like what Josh Jobs went through in Minnesota, where you know, first off, he just got there, but like that they did like didn't he didn't know the snap count, he didn't know the cadence. Yeah. They want to make sure that everybody has a little bit of experience with all of the guys who are responsible for playing center and you know, 
it wasn't perfect at first, but once he settled in, he yep. wasn't any sort of an issue. Like if you're not looking at the center position, that's probably in game watching it live. That's a good thing because that means that the, that there's no issue there. That's yeah. like hindering the ex, the operation of the offense. Yeah, no, I, I thought he did a great job. He'll be, it'll be interesting to see what he is moving forward. Maybe it was the adrenaline. Maybe he can really play. He's, He's been somebody who's been very up and down in his time in the league. Like he's been a guy who's been like a high penalty guy one season, low penalty guy next season. So we'll see what he ends up being. Hopefully, you know, it ends up working out. I, I mm-hmm. like 29 years old and a six round pick for him. You can do a lot worse. Uh, Good depth in the very least. <laughs> definitely depth for the fact that you know that you have depth. That's not Cody White here sending footballs to heaven uh, makes things a lot makes me feel a lot better. Uh, let's look at the uh, the defensive side again, though. It, it, one of the inconsistencies that you brought up before the show was Tremaine Edmonds and Montez Sweat on that last drive, basically just kind of pulling themselves in and out of the game, basically is kind of how Flus explained it. What'd you see on that? So I, like, in-game, and I didn't talk to Montez Sweat afterwards. Some of the other reporters did because I was off talking, I believe it was to Tyler Scott in that moment. But... There's that 11-play drive that is the go-ahead score for Detroit with a two-point conversion, and there's three plays where Montez Sweat, a first, second, and third down, where he wasn't on the field. And Flus was asked about it on Monday, and he said that, um, you know, they, like, I think the question was phrased, I'm trying to find it, um, you know, we want him out there more, but guys are rotating. Travis Smith, who's the D-line coach, has anybody going from five to seven plays um, you know, during the two minute drive, you want fresh bodies out there. You want, you know, you, you want like your best pass rushers there too. So, you know, there's that balance that you can understand it. Like from Matt Eberflus's perspective that, you know, very clearly if Montez Sweat felt that he couldn't go in that moment, like he, you know, he took himself out of the game, but I just like you, you're like money has to add up to snap counts and what you're doing with players. Unless there's an injury, barring any sort of circumstance, your the game is on the line in yeah. that moment. And yeah, he was in there for like you know when they, when they get past um, you know midfield, and then like he he was in there for the rest of that drive. It didn't matter though because there was no like Jared Goff really didn't have a lot of like there was no real hindrance to him moving the ball down the field very methodically in those final few moments of the game to be able to set up the touchdown and then the two point conversion. And like, it, I just, I, I was so baffled by that. And by the, the idea that like the coaching staff could be okay with that. And then, you know, I was watching again and I noticed like Tremaine Edmonds was not on the field at all that last yeah. drive. Um, and Matt Eberflus, like we were, you know, I first noticed, I was like, okay, what's this linebacker rotation that they're doing the goal line, the first touchdown yeah. of the game to Jameer Gibbs, where it's like Dylan Cole, all of a sudden you see 55. Yeah. Like that threw me all the way off, like breaking off. Like, you know, when he sees, you know, Gibbs release, like he's like, oh shit. Like, and he's like, then he's running towards him and try to make a play. They said that in that moment, because Tremaine Edmonds had not played since week eight, he had the knee injury. He was coming back to health. They were rotating him in Sanborn, and that was the rotation at the goal line um, that they kept They kept Dylan Cole in at the right backer spot to just because that was their rotation, their rules, all of that. You can live with that there. Um, I don't think if you're looking back at this, like, you know, with an objective set of eyes that you can live with the fact that you had two timeouts that drive, one that Detroit called, one that you called. And Tremaine Edmonds was not subbed in at all. 
on either of those. And that's 11 plays. It's not, it's not a six play drive. It's not a right. quick drive. It's not a big deep shot over the middle. And like, you know, somebody scores, they were running the ball efficiently. They were passing the ball efficiently on that. And you had the two minute warning in there too. I don't, I don't know. That one does not sit right with me. And unless there was some sort of injury to Tremaine Edmonds, I don't understand why he was on the sideline there. I get the rotation. I get that he's coming off injury, but that is a, you have to go make a stop. We need our best players on the field here. You paid this guy a ton of money to be here in the off season. And this is what, it's not a good look. I, I don't know. You cannot spin this in a way unless he got hurt and was in the medical tent or like something like, but there was none of that. There's no excuse. According to you know, Eberflus, who had no injury updates on Monday, there was no re- there was no justification, I think, for why he was not on there on the field. There were so many opportunities. Like I get it if a guy needs a breather too. And and see, I think that goes to understanding and awareness, right? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like there are times where Flus has no idea what's actually on the field, right? And in certain moments when especially, and I think the team reacts to it in the two-minute drill, we lost on two-minute drill. The Lions scored their first touchdown off of the two-minute drill. Mm-hmm. They got into a four-minute drill, and they go down the field in six plays. Then they go back into a two-minute drill, and they score the game-winning touchdown. Like, you lost the game basically on... With your, with your end-of-half defense. The pressure's at the highest. Mm-hmm. Everything's happening right now. Can you control what's happening on the field right now? And I just... I honestly wonder if Flus even understands, okay, we're running this. This is what needs to be in here. Tremaine, you go back out, right? Because that's normally what a defensive coordinator would do. We're running this set. This is the play we're in. You're in. Boom, let's go. Everybody's moving, right? Like, we don't see that with Flus. And we're talking about these same mistakes. And I get it. A lot of people, like, even Lance yesterday is kind of like, you know, the defense is getting better. He's learning on the fly. He's making this happen, blah, blah, blah. And you know, we're moving in the right direction with this defense, but there's too many times where we look at our coaching staff as a whole and we go, are, like, it, it almost seems like Flus finds things out when you guys ask him in the press conference room. He's like, so what's going on with uh, no, with Sweat not being on the field? Ah, we just like guys rotating in and out there. Why wasn't he on the field? Like, it, that's, that's how it feels watching a press conference. And, you know, I, I just, I'm very confused by his control over this team. That's well, the one thing that I ask. It's inconsistent. And like in terms of those situations, because like let's let's just think about how this lines up and how it looks. You have a coach who has an acronym that he brought with him from Indianapolis yes. to Chicago. Yes. Hustle, intensity, takeaways. I know a lot of people say the ball, it's actually takeaways. Yeah. And then S is playing smart. Four things. Hustle, intensity are the first two. Hustle and intensity equate to the effort play and being out there and giving it your all. It doesn't equate to, man, we need to take, you know, this guy needed a break for this, for this play in a gotta have it situation. It's not that you're going to have another chance, another drive to go out there. It's not, it doesn't play into the rotation of effectively. Like maybe it does for DeMarcus Walker. You just paid Montez sweat 25 and a half million dollars a year to be on this team long-term. And he's not out there in that situation. The best defensive ends, the best pass rushers, um, edge rushers, play like 75, 80% of snaps a season. Montez Sweat played, let me see, 
70 point, you know, 70.1% of snaps last year among all defensive ends in Washington, that was the most. That's what it evened out to over the course of the season. There were some games where it was way in the 80s, some games it was lower, whatever. He can handle that workload. He can handle that capability. It's not like, oh man, like we're ramping him up. It's been a couple weeks now. And and the problem the problem on that as well is the offense had the ball for 40 minutes. Who's tired? You had to be on the field for 20 minutes of play. 19 minutes and 36 seconds is the time of possession for the Lions. That Who is tired. To me, more than them having a two-minute warning in that drive to work with. Yeah. More than them having two other timeouts, one that they called one. Like, the time of possession, like, that is such a damning stat for the Bears to... Like, you can't fall back on that. Oh, man, we needed to go with our rotation there. Like, you know, we want fresh bodies. 19 minutes of game time that the defense was out there. And yeah. that's that's just inexcusable. And so, like, I get back to the whole idea of consistency where you want players who are going to be going, like, running through a wall in these situations, yet you're okay when they're not on the field. That means yeah. your actions are saying that, like, that's okay in those moments. And it brought up something in my mind this is not the first time we've heard of this. You know, if Montez Sweat takes himself out of the game, like the accountability there, where does that lie? Does it lie on the player? Does it lie on, you know, the coaching staff? Do you remember Green Bay week one when DJ Mori came with two targets, two catches in that game, yeah. never saw him again that game? Do you remember the situation when they got into the red zone and there it was going towards the, the south end zone at Soldier Field? All of a sudden, it's like, where, where's DJ Moore? Why is he yeah. not on the field in the situation? Darnell Mooney ends up scoring there. But, like, it took us until Thursday that week to find out that DJ took himself out of the game. Flus had no answer for it on Monday after the game um, or Wednesday, whichever day we asked him about it. And like, the player took himself out of, the situ- out of there. Maybe it was his equipment. Maybe it was whatever. Like, there's another situation of that happening and it just doesn't, that sort of stuff with the coaching staff that is preaching all this stuff of like, we want these type of type of players, guys who are going to be, you know, locked in 60 minutes, whatever. Then like, you're okay with them subbing themselves out of games. Like I don't yeah. understand the rationale there. Um, like, are you a player's coach? Are you this? Are you that? Like, it doesn't, it, it, this to me is like why I'm still confused today after watching back this game, because the, the personnel question- decisions don't make sense. Yeah, and the biggest question mark for me is, can I, okay, you tell me that they sub themselves out. Are you just trying to pass the buck on that? Are you just trying to make it so that, you know, your coaching staff doesn't look incompetent for not having their best players out there? Because, right, like now all of a sudden you want to beat your chest about all the great things you did in a game you lost in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. right? Well, now I'm assuming that you wouldn't want to sit there and look bad when you don't have your best players on the field and they're not out there making plays, right? Like, I, it, it it's very confusing to me unless unless there's an injury, right? And they, mm-hmm. and again, there's no injury. It doesn't. It doesn't sound, yeah, it just doesn't sound. It's like very there confusing was. to me that all of a sudden, when guys get here, that Tremaine Edmonds and Montez Sweat would go, yeah, I'm fine not being on the field in the biggest moments of games. These are guys that have played in big moments. I remember. Guys, yeah, I mean, like it, it's very weird to me to think that these guys would be like, you know, what I don't want to do right now in the biggest moment of the game, be on the field. There was, again, I'll go back to that Green Bay game. There was a goal line play. I think Aaron Jones scored on this one. It was in the second half. And um, it was at the, the, the north end zone. 
So of course, like when you're in the red zone, the coaching staff, it is, it is, you got to give them a little credence. It is harder to get substitutions and calls out, but like you had DeMarc, like you, you did not have your, at the time, Unique Ngakwe or DeMarcus Walker were not on the field on that play. And I remember asking DeMarcus about that after like a couple of days after the game, I was like, what happened in that situation? Again, goal line situation, your back is up against it and your best players aren't out there. And his answer was, I know exactly what you're talking about. That will never happen again. That's all I'm going to say on it. That's telling, man. Like, that's telling. Like, that's the sort of stuff where it's like, get your shit together. Like, yeah. figure it out. It should not be that difficult to, like, again, in a different defensive coordinator, that was Alan Williams' one and only game in 2023. But, like, same seems like the same sort of issues and like the, the you know, that stuff is still happening and that's bizarre. And the, and the tough part about all of it is right. Like I think there's enough talent on this team that we're starting to see improvements and it's mm-hmm. finally starting to come together. It and really they're is. getting used to playing with each other. I think that people are looking at that and saying, well, that's Matt Eberflus is doing. No, I, to me, we've now seen too many examples over two years where we we're having conversations like this of, yeah, I just don't know what the coaching staff was doing at the end of the game. And uh, I free, really feel like it cost them in those important moments. Like this is too many times that we're having these conversations. Ryan Poles has to be looking at this going, if, if you're not looking at this and you at least have some questions on what your coaching staff is putting together week in and week out, then I got questions on you as a GM. It just, it doesn't line up. And I yeah. go back to what Flu said about Justin, the final seven games, wants to see consist- seven games is enough time to show consistency. Same thing should be said for the coaching staff to where the game plan for the first 54, 56 minutes should not look like a completely different game plan from the time where you've got to lock this thing up and get out of there with a win. Yeah, and and, and it just, it does. It looks like, you know what it is? I'll, say, I'll tell you exactly what it is. They all look like Valus Jones. The moment's too big in the most important moments. That's how, that's how it looks to me. I don't know. Uh, the one thing I will say, we'll keep it moving. I, we got to get something positive in here, Courtney. Tyreek Stevenson's a positive. Yeah. Javon yeah. Dexter's a positive. You saw growth from your rookies in this yep. game. Um, I mean, you, you, of course, the Jalen Johnson drop picks and all of that. That's a tough situation on the other side. But Tyreek looked very, very good. He did. And, like, I think about, of course, the interception. For him, like, he's had, like, it's just been up and down. And that sometimes happens like boomer bust plays for him um, yeah. this season. And I had a conversation with him a couple weeks ago. I was working on something for a DJ Moore story. And we talked about some of those hitch routes, like that that's something that he had really been working on, like not giving up, you know, not biting on the route, not, you know, getting lost in coverage. Um, he's putting the work in and yeah. you're starting to see like, okay, some of those plays, like he's a rookie corner. Veteran quarterbacks are going to attack him. Veteran quarterbacks are going to know how to move him to, you know, have, you know, just to, 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 to throw him off. And the game on Saturday, on Sunday with Jared Goff, a veteran quarterback, quarterbacking a top five offense in the NFL for Tyreek Stevenson to come away with a pick, but also the forced fumble on the return that the yeah. bears and giving the bears another possession, like, what a way to turn around like the, you know, a couple of weeks that were, you know, he gets, he has the injury to his ankle. He comes out of the new Orleans game. You're wondering, is it a benching? Is it an injury? You find out it's an injury. And then it's like, okay, he just didn't feel like he got into a groove back after that, after that week, nine game, like 
you got to f- be feeling really good about the draft pick um, that he came through that way, but also knowing like Javon Dexter too. Remember a couple weeks ago, it's like, why is he playing 14 snaps? Yeah. Um, and then Fluth, you know, said, no, we, we really like him. We really like Pickens. We want to get them some more play. You're seeing that with Dexter and you should, that guy is a second round pick. Like, you know, put your money where put your, yeah, put your money where your mouth is. Like put your, yeah. put your like belief in these guys where you say it is. And you need to, you're three and 18. You got to get a good evaluation on these guys, whether this staff is going to be here or not next year. Like you've got to figure out like who, you know, who are the players that you think, okay, these guys have played their way into roles next year, because that's going to affect what you do in free agency. If you're the front office, that's when it's going to affect what your draft priorities are. And of course the coaching staff in front office, when you have those sorts of conversations and situations, they're never going to be like completely aligned, but I think everybody here knows that like getting Jervon Dexter reps, important reps, and he's averaging around, you know, since in the last three or four games, right around the same amount of snaps. But that's important to see in terms of his growth. Yeah, no, I I, I thought that uh, Jervon, just seeing him out there, him and like, it's almost like, like you said, with the 14 snap game, right? It's almost like they were like, oh, well, now we got to try and win a little more. So maybe we're going to sit you a little more. And it was like, no, like, that's not the answer either. This is still a development. You have three wins. Mm-hmm. I don't think at that point they had three wins. I think we had two wins at that point. Yeah. And it, it's like, this is a development year. This is a year where you need to see guys get better. You need to see who's your cornerstone pieces. I feel like we saw a turning point for both of these guys. I, I really thought they did a good job in there. And, you know, I think that they, when you look at this defense as a whole, finding pieces on the front lines, Finding Javon Dexter being able to create pressure on Jared Goff in multiple situations. I thought he did a great job. There's one play where he literally just pushed Panay Sewell out of the way. And I was like, okay, that's the guy I want to see. Mm-hmm. Now, like, Where's that been all year? Like, I love this. It's good to see him finally getting the opportunities and, and taking advantage of, finally taking advantage of the opportunities, I should say. Um, I, I think, listen, there's, there's so much that we could get to Bears-wise. I want to get your opinions on some of the other things that have happened. We do want to let you guys know that uh, today's episode is brought to you by the Hard Rock Casino in Northern Indiana. You can see Blue October on November 30th at Hard Rock Live. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. So a couple things have happened around the league that I want to get your thoughts on, right? Uh, you've been working in the NFL for a little while now, and Tom Brady has some interesting comments that echo uh, some comments that Lance Briggs made about two weeks ago on the Chicago Bears podcast. Shout out Big Briggs on that one said that the NFL product with rules and coaching is to blame on the NFL not being as good. I've been saying this all year. I think there's a lot of people that have said this all year. NFL does not look like the same NFL we grew up watching. What are your thoughts on what Brady said? Do you feel like uh, the rules and coaching have uh, taken the stars out of the game? I mean, we can go back to the Fletcher Cox play last night and like the, what was it, roughing the passer? Like, it just looked like, what are we doing here? Come on. Yeah. Like the guy, like, you know, he bumped into him. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you want him to do? Um, roughing the passer, we know it's been an issue. There have been some really egregious calls um, that have happened. I think there was one in a Washington and um, New England game that happened yeah. earlier this year that was just like, what are we doing? But when Brady said, that like there's so much mediocrity in the NFL today. And, you know, I just thought it was kind of a rich thing for him to say because of the quarterbacks, like on the other side of, you know, the field for him that he's played 
against throughout his career. Like he played against some really, really, really mediocre teams yeah. in the AFC East yeah. for like 10 years. Come on. Like, and he benefited from it. So yeah. I just thought that was like a layer he forgot to add in. Um, I feel like it's like Cleo Lemon. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I've, I, 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 I agree with him on the, the mediocrity of the league, just from the sense that, and I, I don't even know if it's just the rules though. I think it's just the mindset has changed because of now the season being 17 games and they're prepping for it. And everybody's of the mindset now that training camp and preseason are basically just go run around and have a good time. Like nobody, like very few teams are taking training camp deadly serious. Like they did when Brady was like Brady's training camp with Belichick had to be like, run it again, run it again, run it. You're not going to screw this up. Cause if you screw it up now, you'll screw it up in the super bowl. I don't think teams think that way anymore. I literally, th I mean, like you look at how the games were from week one to week three. And then from week four to week seven, and you just go, oh, they literally use the first three games of the season as preseason. And that's what it's morphed into. I think that you won't find much disagreement from anybody on that because you can't hit players in practice. If you're yeah. a defensive player, you can't, like, there's no two-a-days anymore. Yeah. Like, And I know that, like, when Brady was playing, that stuff really wasn't in existence either, but it's just... It definitely has, I'm not going to say soften the game because I just feel like that word should be used for other things in the NFL, like some of the rules. I just, yeah. I think it's altered the way that they are like, hey, this is a marathon that we've got to like ease our way into. And no. of course, teams are going to be trying to win games in those first, you know, first month of the season where you do tend to see sloppier football. But there's no doubt that the play is like, if you name like your top teams in the NFC right now, whether it's, you know, the Eagles, the 49ers, the Cowboys, um, the Detroit Lions, like, and then you name your top five, top four in the AFC. And then it's like, there's such a gap between those oh, yeah. groups. And like, like for like right now, like look at the AFC playoff picture for like five through seven for the wild card teams. Like the Steelers are the seven seed right now in the AFC playoffs. You've got a, uh, Browns team that yeah. you know with Dorian Thompson Robinson the rest of the way that is the five seed like I don't like there's a lot of mediocrity and, and maybe that's good because obviously they want parity they want to keep the product where it's not like okay it's going to be Eagles Chiefs again which I don't think many people would complain about but like, people want to have hope that their teams can get to the last game in, of the season in February and to keep the audience coming back with the intrigue but it's it's definitely the haves and like the a majority who are the have nots in the NFL, especially I, the quarterback play because of I, how many quarterback injuries there have been this yeah. season, and just knowing that there's not even enough starting like there's not even enough among the 32 starting quarterbacks that you can say okay these guys are sure bets like there's the Jets just bench their quarterback in favor of Tim Boyle. Yeah, it's he not was good. Second string quarterback, anyways. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, it's it's. I look at the AFC picture and like the Ravens, facts, Chiefs. Okay, I could. I, I mean, a little gross. Second, third game in a row uh, where they don't score in the second half feels like a Matt Nagy uh, coach team. But you know, and then I get the Jacksonville, and I'm just like, oh yeah, they are like winning, but like it's it's kind of gross at the same time. Yeah, you got the Dolphins. Okay, Dolphins, I like Browns, ugh. Texans, I like. Steelers, ugh, like that, that's that feels to me like the entire league is that way. That's just the AFC, of course. The NFC, I guess, you, like the Saints are in it. 
Yeah. What are the Saints? About Derek Carr too. Still yeah, I mean, football. like it's 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 a weird time in the league, man. It was maybe there will be a change. I feel like the NBA felt like this last season. And now, yeah. right to start off this season, I feel like the NBA is off to a great start. So we'll see what it ends up being. Last thing I want to get your thoughts on. Um interesting comments. And I maybe we're a little late on this, but I, I don't think I've talked to you since the comments have been made. Did you hear Clarissa Thompson's comments? Yes, I did. I did. That was on Thursday of last Thursday, week. Thursday, I believe, of Thursday last Thursday or Friday. Week. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing how it's kind of died down. In that position, what are your thoughts on it? Um, You know, like, I, I listened to the whole podcast because I, I wanted to reserve judgment. I wasn't tweeting about it. Like, there are a lot of people who, like, just, like, were hammering her. Right. Um, And for good reason. Like, for good reason. You don't – to go out – like, I, I just – my number one thing is I don't understand – why you say something like that. You have nothing to gain from it professionally of like peeling back the curtain on something that happened 15 years ago and then admitting to, you know, making up sideline reports because you weren't at a position to interview coaches because they might have blown you off, whatever. But like, I understand it was a long time ago, but like, what do you have to gain by revealing that now? And whether she understands this or not like that does affect other people to say that from an ivory tower perspective that does it may not hurt you because look she was still on thursday night football she was still on the sunday um i didn't watch it because i was covering a game but i would assume she was still doing the studio stuff for fox on sunday it didn't affect her it's not going to affect her bottom line but that's going to affect other people because of the perception that like okay well this one powerful woman who did it for a long time and did it really well allegedly like you know, it's going to bring into question others now. And that's not fair. It's not a fair thing to do when, you know, her, Aaron Andrews have talked about this and it's like the two untouchable people because they make a ton of money to do what they do. And the people who are coming up trying to get to a certain level, those people are now, you just, it just put another obstacle in the way of, of those, of those reporters. And I also like, if we're being honest about this, being a silent reporter is a lot of work. But you're not like, you know, teams set stuff up for you. Like they'll give you, call, like they'll have you on calls with players. Like I'm just telling you how ESPN does it. Like you can, they silent reporters for like countdown for all those things like that for the Sunday games. Yeah. They're not necessarily at the facility during the week combing through the locker room that might have 10 players in there. And like, you know, a third of those guys are practice squad guys trying to like come up with content and come up with, you know, you know, interesting nuggets that they can use on a broadcast. A lot of times those are production meetings. Like and you we we're not in production meetings getting like the real truth to like basically like okay, so I real feel really feel don't say I said this, but go you can go ahead and like say it in your own words. It's what yeah. you know on background means. I just I, I was really like disappointed by that. And I, I know it's kind of died down. There was a lot of outrage and a lot of people are like, Well, what's the outrage? Nobody cares about sideline reporters. When done right. It's a it's an art and it's a very difficult job. And I just think that she made a mockery of it in that moment, because if you listen to the podcast from PMT, she was talking about how it was so much work. There's so little return on investment. I'm glad I don't do it anymore. Like that's I don't know. I thought that was kind of a slap in the face. To like She was basically putting it. the job down. She's very brazen. She's very yeah. unnecessarily brazen. And it came across from a place of privilege and arrogance. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's like you said, it didn't affect her in the slightest and it brought everybody who does the job now into question. Right. Because the the biggest at first, like I didn't care at all. But then, you know, I talked about it with one of my guys and he was like, dude, like 
if I don't believe, like, if you just say I said something, that puts you in such a bad position because what if I then go in the post game and I'm just like, no, I didn't say that. Even if it's something that's like, yes, that's, of course, that's something we want to overcome. But, like, I didn't say that and people are putting words in my mouth that you got to watch this type of stuff. Like, that instantly destroys the credibility of the position. So yeah. I mean, all you have is your credibility. And once that's gone, it is really difficult to come back. So I'm not going to say she didn't, like, her bottom line financially, yeah. she's fine with that. But everything else, I mean, who's going to trust when she talks now? Like, who's oh, going to. The, the memes gonna... are out there, Courtney. I'll I tell know. you right now. Twitter went immediately at that. I, the first thing I saw was uh, Joe Burrow slated to return yep. next week, as reported by Clarissa Thompson. I was like, it starts. Every yep. report from now on is going to have the count of the memes. So. We'll see. That's, that's that was a that was an interesting one. Wanted to get your perspective on that. As a whole, uh, we will not be on Thursday because of Thanksgiving. So uh, I guess we can get your uh, thoughts on Bears Vikings real quick right now. Uh, what's your expectation heading into this game doesn't after sound, what we've seen? Yeah, it doesn't sound like Justin Jefferson's going to play. He tweeted about it this morning, um, like with you know he's like going after people who are going after him about his, their fantasy teams. Yeah. Doesn't care about that, but like it also kind of maybe was a tell that he's not ready yet to come back because they have the same buy as the Bears uh, the week after this after game. This game so yeah. I, you know, the, the the Vikings learned the lesson that the Bears have learned have been on the other side of you can't lose the, you can't win a game if you're minus three in the turnover margin and. I, I know that that fourth and was it fourth and 20 fourth and 25 play from yeah. Dobbs at the end of the game like they were in position to to like they were in position late so by no stretch am I looking at the Vikings saying man like, this is going to be an easy game for the Chicago Bears they've seen them before they also saw a different uh, quarterback the last time around because Kirk Cousins was healthy yeah so I think it's going to be another uphill battle like should it could it look like that first game? Uh, that they played in week six, potentially. But I think they have gotten so much better defensively. Like, they, yeah. they, they, God, they're, they're just, they're so multiple. They'll drop eight, they'll, you know, all out blitz. Like, they do so much stuff. And Fields is now going to have to see this, also knowing that Daniil Hunter is the reason that he has a dislocated thumb because he held onto the ball too long and Hunter, you know, barreled down on him. So there's, there's a lot here, I think, that goes into what this game's going to look like. Yeah, we'll see what it ends up being. Uh, Fields dealt with the pressure a lot better, so hopefully he'll be able mm -hmm. to do that yet again. Uh, appreciate you, as always, for jumping on with us, Courtney. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with J-Mac reacting to the word salad that Matt Eberflus undoubtedly has prepared for us. As always, it's your boy, Pat, the designer, back at it again. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Big Bear Dime. We're here every day. Peace.